guaranteed not to fire the problem and hire the cause, welcome back to Motorsport 101. That's a British government reshuffle joke for all you in the know there. Welcome to episode 484 of Motorsport 101. And uh, oh my God, I'm living in a world where David Cameron is back on the cabinet. We are going hog wild. <laughs> As you do. Um, <laughs> oink, oink, motherfuckers. Um, welcome to episode 484 of Motorsport I, I, I hate, 101. I hate both of you. I hate both of you so Man. much. Fair. I can't even blame you on that one. Welcome to our episode at 484 Motorsport 101. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about what is normally one of my favorite Grand Prix of the year. I'm a massive fan of Sepang as a racing circuit, and I love when MotoGP goes there every year. It's a great track. It's a great sport for it. Unpredictable weather sometimes, potentially. Um, late season drama. Always a good time. Well, Dre, how was this race then? Terrible. Um- <laughs> oh, not even Sepang. Absolutely borderline unwatchable bro what I happened burry ram uh, was so good this race was terrible it was arguably the worst race of the year um, for moto gp and um this was this was dirty air to the extreme and the knock-on effects of said dirty air having a massive impact on this race and the politics of the sport which we'll get into in a lot more detail very shortly but as you can tell with me on this episode once again is RJ O'Connell. Hello, buddy. <clears throat> oh, I feel like I need a third cup of coffee to get through this. <laughs> Why are you struggling with caffeine intake all of a sudden? Uh, because it may just be my sleep schedule being abysmal. You know, mm. staying up until 4 a.m. to commentate the last round of the Super Taikyu series will do that Ooh. for you. Yeah, that'll do it. You have a sleep schedule? Uh, That's cute. It exists. It's not. It's not normal. Look, my sleep schedule is my alarm to get up for WTF one is at nine in the morning. How many hours of sleep I have before that varies. <laughs> That's my idea of a sleep schedule. Also joining us is Mr. Cameron Buckley. Hello, Cam. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I empathize with that on the whole sleep schedule thing because mm. I was also watching the Super Taiku season finale, if only to watch our hydrogen fueled king once again finish a race. You, you, you are particularly interested because you have told us that you want a new Toyota GR Corolla. The Gran Turismo Seven is going to cost me fifty grand in real life. And you would think that a, a Corolla, not even a GR Corolla, which again, all-wheel drive, it's the Celica GT4 spiritual successor, would not cost $50,000. But the thing is here in North America, uh, a lot of our uh, privately owned dealerships are very proud of some of these cars they sell, and they will charge an exceptional markup for it. This is the one time we're going to hand it to Tesla, regardless of how hands-on Elon is actually with that company nowadays. They're just like, you know what? No going with these deal- dealers who want to go rogue. We'll sell you the car directly. Yeah. Um, that probably is a net positive, unfortunately, for better or worse. On this one instance, we do actually have to hand it to them. Let's never do that again. No, please. This is this is a one-shot deal. And yeah, the whole sleep thing was kind of messed up because it, uh, for us, for us Brits, this is a horrible time of year because uh, it's flyaway season in Formula One and MotoGP, which means you get a shitload of 
stupidly early morning start if you want to watch everything. Like, 7 a.m. for MotoGP isn't dreadful. Like, there's there's worse on, on, on the calendar than this. But it's always a bit on the dodge, especially if you want to watch the junior classes. Like, I, I you, guess you, you it depends. Scrap that. Are you waking up for 7 a.m. or are you staying up to 7 a.m.? Right, and that, that that's the difficult decision you've got to make a lot of times. Like, are, are you putting the all-nighter or not? Um, and I, I, I didn't in this case. I actually got up for it, only because I was, I was spending <clears> all of Sunday night figuring out how to move my bt sport subscription across to, to discovery plus uh to, to be able to watch the sport legally yes i do that um it's it's, it's a you. weird thank you warner brothers discovery for doing something nice for your consumers yeah for i'm like okay fair play to warner brothers there was a very generous gesture to have all of the bt sport slash ee customers course the ee are formerly bt sport and uh they used to own that that network they actually gave everybody the free switch to just put it all on your discovery plus account and watch the sport that way so they could have easily just said fuck off and then charge 30 pounds a month to get it again they didn't so uh fair play to them um it's a it's a nice gesture that is about as nice as i'm going to be about moto gp in this episode um so you've been warned um so yeah in this episode we'll be talking all about obviously the malaysian grand prix um yeah, uh, turns out Anea Bastianini is back. Um, a, a dominant victory um, from the Beast. As uh, yeah, you, you, you forgot this man the could be- ride a bike at some point, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, the, the the best way to be a rear gunner is to check notes, lead the vanguard. Sure, why not? As long as Martin isn't winning, um, then then that's all that matters, right? Did right? we all for, did we all for kind of forget that he was riding hurt a lot of this time? I well, think a lot of people thing. genuinely his, did. Yeah. yeah, his season effectively ended after the first one of the first laps of the first sprint when Luca Marini cleaned him out and broke his shoulder blade. More on Luca Marini later, but yeah, yes. from what I hear from y'all, uh, not a classic, but still a lot to talk about. Jeez, it, it's it's just it, like this could not be further from a classic. This, and as far as pure racing quality without shenanigans might have been the worst race of the season yeah this was bad and a lot of that play a lot of the reason why it was bad was exactly the the area you might expect and that was the tire pressure debacle um the way it played out and the way that uh, the rules have played out regarding it has led to a very messy situation which will break down in a lot of detail very shortly we'll also be talking about yes more repsol honda bullshit because uh we've got i can't wait (laughs) we've got two big breaking news stories regarding repsol honda and the way they're going to be getting down in 2024 that definitely warrants further discussion with all the camps and therapy in advance uh to mentally prepare ourselves all of us for this monumental show is my therapy you're welcome um so before we get into that, places you can find us real quick, we are um, on our website, motorsport101.com. Um, if you want to read my race review on that and get some extra thoughts on the weekend's action, feel free um, in the blog section over there. Of course, all of our podcasts and videos are on there as well. 
Um, you can, and if you're really lucky, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, $5 gives you early access to all of our episodes before they go live to the public. You can upgrade to the $10 level to get into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they are being recorded, as Jason is doing in the chat right now, who quite rightly flagged up that I got a prediction correct. Pedro Acosta is your new Moto2 world champion. Congratulations to the little man himself i've got something right this season (laughs) you've got something wrong because my bet of seven different winners is now on par let's go alex marcus let's go alex marcus (laughs) when did you 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 ryan harrison arrive on the show just a little bit but uh yeah it's good to get something correct for once i've had a terrible year prediction wise so i'm actually glad I've, I've actually got something to hang my hat on this year yes i bet one of the favorites for the title and he won go me um also big shout out to liam mcclacklin for being our latest patreon backer this past week as Yay, well thank you thank, thank you, you very much thank you Leanne. that's very kind of you um and especially to her partner, Tony, who is a big member of our Discord server. And I can't get into the reasons as to why it's so important. I probably will in the next couple of weeks. But I just wanted to say thank you, Tony, and you know why. Um, I just wanted to make sure that you're you're acknowledged and appreciated for that. Right. Without further ado, well, what to mention the social media, by the way. Um, yes, yeah, so Motorsport 101 pod for our Instagram, Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101, our personal handles, Dre underscore WTF1, and RJ O'Connell and C Buckley 917. Right. Let's get into arguably the worst MotoGP race of 2023, somehow the Malaysian Grand Prix. Does this go into the the greatest race uh, series? Absolutely not, because it wasn't entertaining at all in that sense. So, okay. no, this would be it would be the ironic greatest game. Oh, the okay. ironic greatest game since yeah, this yeah. was not a classic. Yeah, Francesco Bagnaia no, uh... won pole position. Alex Marquez dominated for his second sprint win of the year. But on Sunday, Enea Bastianini took the lead off the back of the front row and pretty much led the Malaysia Grand Prix, lights the flag. Marquez the Younger tried to stay with the beast early on, but he eventually fell back to a couple seconds at the top four spaced out, with Bagnaia in third ahead of Jorge Martin in fourth. But, Dre, you could argue the real story of the weekend was the discussions held on the tire pressures that had a massive impact on the weekend. Yeah, so here's here's the rundown. Jorge Martin, okay, he claims he rode this race at his maximum. I'm not sure whether I believe him sincerely or not because he very much backed off in the second half of the race. Um, We suspect, and we did mention this during last week's doubleheader, that he got a warning when he won that race in Buriram the week prior for having an illegally high tire pressure on his bike when he won that race. Now, if you remember, the rules regarding the tire pressure situation now for the rest of this season, your first offense is only a warning. Then it escalates into time penalties. The second offense is a three-second time penalty. It doubles to six for a third offense, and it doubles again to 12 seconds for a fourth offense. Now, no one can get to four except for Alicia Spargaro because he's been the only rider that's had two so far um, between now and the end of the season. But remember this, it becomes very important 
right about now because funnily enough uh both factory ducatis as anea bastianini who won this race and francesco baniaia and remember this it becomes really important later also had illegally high tire pressures on their bike when they won this race Banyaya actively bragged about having a, quote, tactical joker over Martin for having a warning he still hadn't taken for having a low type. He planned, he, he said he was planning to use it in Qatar this upcoming weekend um, for the Lasalle Grand Prix. He can't do that now. They were, they, were two, they were two of the five riders who uh, got flagged up for... Um, having illegal tyre pressures in, over the course of the race with Luca Marini, um, Eka Laquona, who is once again filling in for Alex Rins. And hey, Alvaro Batista's here. Hey, good to see the double world superbike champion in attendance this weekend. Sadly, he was riding for injury, so he wasn't really a factor. But yeah, uh, we, we did not get our Troy Bayless moment. I'm very we sad. We did not get our Troy Bayless moment. It was very sad. But Batista all... close to our Troy Bayless moment. Yeah, no. so they all so there were five out of the 20, 23 bikes in the field that uh, had illegal tire pressures in this race, and they were all given warnings for it because it was all their first offence. So the the question I asked to the to the chat was, what did you make of the race and how the tire pressure situation affected the running? Ominous this- chat. <laughs> this race redefined what it meant to see dirty air. This was beyond dirty air. This was beyond filthy air. This was scum air. Yeah, this was... There was just no action after the first five or six laps. There was a fun early skirmish with Jorge Martin throwing the house at trying to pass Banyaya early on. Banyaya was able to weather that early storm. And I... I look, this could be a bit tinfoil hat by my standards, but... By all accounts, I reckon Martin intentionally backed off to avoid any risk of his tire pressure going too high and copying a time penalty for it. I don't think it would have mattered if he had got one in the end because the top four were still way ahead of the of Fabio Quattararo in the leading the, the chase group in second. I think they were about 15 seconds down the road. But you don't want to take a time penalty and then start adding the risk of bigger penalties down the road because it's becoming abundantly clear to me that these teams don't know how their races are going to be ran. And if you're an engineer, this is a nightmare right now because you do not know how clean your rider's race is going to be. And therefore, you don't know how much risk you can acceptably take on your starting tires PSI because if you get caught behind the wrong rider and you end up following them and the dirty air infl- inflates your front tire pressure, you're going to get clapped. And yeah, it, it, It's something that the teams and indeed the riders effectively have no control over now because it, it's depending on where you end up basically after lap one. And Martin did get dropped down from the front row initially and mm. had to fight his way back. Um, <clears throat> this is just shit. It was shit. I mean, I mean, the the top four spaced out. I mean, at one point it was like equal one and a half second gaps mm. between bikes at the front half of the field, um, because behind that you had Jack Miller doing what Jack Miller does and destroying his tires. Beautifully done, but as ever, always well done. Congratulations, even. Um, 
but behind him was a wad of bikes that included the Yamahas, which can't pass a horse-drawn buggy in a straight line. So you have this huge wad of bikes in the background while the top four just space out and cannot race each other worth a damn. It this this race drew out the worst of current state MotoGP. Some races it just doesn't matter to the same degree. Sepang's always been a tire shredder. It's one of the most technical circuits MotoGP goes to. A lot of undulation, a lot of slow, medium, and fast those corners. Long, it's those long corners where you're, you know, you've got the mm. bike leaned over for three or four seconds at a time. Yeah, they're, 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 Sepang has got three or four big sweeping left and right handers that again puts constant pressure on a tire. So it's very easy for that for that tire to inflate um, effectively when it comes to pressure. But that's something we've talked about for a year and a half now with these modern day prototypes and what they do. They took the page out of F1's copybook and this has been the direct result of that. And yeah, like it made for a race where you couldn't follow each other um, and riders were afraid of following each other um, to risk potentially flagging up for a tire pressure sensor fault i mean let's not forget we talked about this in catalonia these riders are now starting these moto gp races on essentially flat tires they're starting them at 14 psi i wouldn't pass inspection anywhere they wouldn't, uh, they, wouldn't mean, they wouldn't pass a standard cars mot in this country <laughs> no no you wouldn't be if if a cop saw you riding by he'd pull you over for a flat and the bike yeah. just wouldn't be rideable um and we're i mean this is the only series that has this problem because the aerodynamic war has escalated to this point and michelin can't develop a new tire because they don't have the means to test these bikes i was watching on tnt's coverage with neil hodson and gavin emmett and neil hodson has had enough hodson snapped during this race i've never seen him so frustrated at a situation where he was like well why don't we just ban the rear ride height device then and i'm like yes tell him <laughs> come on neil <laughs> come over to the other side welcome to the resistance my friend um yes because that's exactly what we've been saying for two years <laughs> on this show now like they need to be banned unfortunately we've mentioned as well the political warfare of why that's likely not going to happen Ducati basically opened Pandora's box with aerodynamics and all of the drawbacks that have come with that aerodynamic development since 2016 um you know so as a direct result of that we're now in a deadlock where Ducati can veto any attempt to ban rear ride height devices um, unless it's on safety grounds. And if you're another factory, politically, it's in your best interest not to fight that fight because you need Ducati for anything else if you're going Mm. to sit down on the negotiating table to get anything done in this sport. Because, as mentioned, you don't get shit overturned unless it's unanimously. Good luck. Yeah, and we're currently in a situation where, I mean, we've got another row brewing where MotoGP appear to, it appears that they're going to cut Ducati's concessions down next year, Mm. where they're going to have cut testing, cut tire supply, uh, cut engine supply. Well, K 
KTM and Aprilia are pushing for even further sanctions, and the Japanese are just happy to be invited to the table at the moment. <laughs> they want Ducati straight up banned from testing. Which is which just, is just, which is, which is just ludicrous. That's just not going to happen. And nor should it happen, because that's just... Absolutely not. No, we've got staggered concessions... And what that is going to look like next year, we just don't know yet because it's not been ratified. Yeah, it's not finalized yet. Imagine, yeah, you have to imagine the Japanese are going to have things opened up a bit right now, or opened up in the future, and Ducati is going to be cut down a little bit. Mm. You cannot look at the front-running team and go, all right, you're no longer allowed to test. You're now that's limited on... That, that's, just, that's just not on. That's not, that's not sport. Um, I agree for me. 100% and <laughs> but you, you've now gotten a, a situation where the arrow and the ride height devices work in tandem mm-hmm. you ban one you cripple the other and no one is going to take that step um, due to the ramifications because as you said you need unanim- unanimous approval well Ducati isn't going to vote Ducati as a turkey is not going to vote for Thanksgiving dinner no. And look, I don't care what you tell me. It is a horrible look in MotoGP that a rule that was initially brought in for safety reasons has now been exploited to the point where we are seeing people win MotoGP races on illegal bikes and nothing happens. We all yes, knew what we the, all the two knew. The factory what, Ducatis crossed the line as illegal machinery. Yeah, we. We all know what the big catalyst was at the 2022 Spanish Grand Prix last year when Bagnaia beat Quattararo in a tense classic. Um, That was the first race, at least that we knew about, for sure, that Bagnaia had won a race illegally. And ever since then, it now kind of froze everything out for a loop because politically it turned out that the riders, the teams, the engineers, and the, and the and the, the team's collaborative union all knew this was going on and had a handshake agreement not to flag this up until Matt Oxley broke the story, made it public, and basically pissed on everybody's Cheerios. Matt Oxley, a legend. Um, so- love, that, love that, man. Love his work. But yeah, I mean, he more or less made the entire sport look like a bunch of idiots. Exactly. Um, and Which they were being, because if you can't finish a race legally and you're not willing to help your tire supplier supply tires that can finish races legally, you deserve the egg on the face that you get. And <clears throat> this is going to lead. And the way the sport has handled this has been sloppy at best. And look, I get it. It was such a bedded in part of bike racing at this point that you wanted to stagger punishment for breaking said rule this year, which they finally finalized earlier this year. But now it's leading to that rule being exploited. Yeah. Trey, Trey, look at Pecco after the race where he's talking about, they're bragging that they're going to run the bike illegally in Qatar because they know there will be no punishment and that will give them the most benefit. What are we doing here? Banyaya described it as a joker and I'm just sitting here like, what are we doing? Like we are now turning a safety rule into a tactical game of chicken, and I and I, and I don't like it. Like I, this is a horrible look for the sport. I'm sorry. Like like there's a reason why we have this rule because it's genuinely 
dangerous. And now we're treating having an illegally having an illegal bike with a potentially dangerous bike now being flaunted against the rule, but because as Jason in our chat points out, it's being treated like a get out of jail free card. And I think that's nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, you can run the bike illegally and there's no repercussions when look, why do you think we've seen a, an increase in the rash of turn one lap one incidents this year? Because they're riding into turn one on effectively flat tires with tons of aero, tons of dirty air, and because of the ride height and the shape shifters and the hole shot devices, effectively no suspension on the rear of the bike. Mm. You say you this... your fork, well, while your forks are already also compressed. Do you know what this reminds me of, Dre? Go on. Do you remember the sticky stuff controversy in Major League Baseball a couple years ago? Yes, because the, mm-hmm. yes, because there were starting pitchers in Major League Baseball who would use more than just Rajan to try and get a better grip on the ball. Now, the pitchers would tell you having this sticky stuff on your fingers is for safety. To get a better grip on the ball, that means the ball doesn't slip out of the pitcher's hand and risk hitting the batsman or somebody else like in the body or in the face or whatever. But the thing is, they were also using that to give their pitches a little extra zip, a little extra break. Well, but that's but that's normal, RJ, because you are going to exploit any regulation you have yeah. for a competitive advantage. Yeah, that's I don't, that's what I, we talk about in motorsport often. Yeah, I, I, but, I don't I don't want to bring the man's name up because he's a dickhead. But Trevor Bauer went into a lot of detail at the time about the effect it could have and basically how people were using it to effectively get an extra two to three hundred rpm on their for on their four seamers like bowers four seamer was all was all of a sudden going from 95 to 98 99 miles an hour and because of its spin rate it was making it really difficult to hit ironically that was his best season in the majors before he decided to be a dickhead to his partner but that but you, you get um you get I completely get where RJ is coming from yeah. on this one. It is a massive but, problem. And unfortunately, we are now in a situation where, like, okay, well, that's because the best way of me summing this up now is that Bastianini just won this race illegally and he has thrown, he's now thrown his Joker away. Banyaya has done this to finish three points ahead of Jorge Martin going into Qatar, which. By the way, one of the most equalizing tracks we go to on the MotoGP calendar this weekend. Um, good luck to him, because I'm not sure it was worth throwing that away for three points. Um, but the, the whole thing is, is that it's on the regulating body to make sure that it is not exploited. And they're, they're just yeah, they're, not they're, doing they're, anything. They were too soft. They were too soft on this rule. I mean, look, they're going to crank this up in 2024 because they're going to treat this tire pressure situation like any other technical regulation breach next year, where it will now be an immediate disqualification if anybody has an illegal tire pressure on their bike next year. Now, don't get me wrong. Normally, I'd be all for this. The problem is, if you're a MotoGP engineer, you're putting your hair out of this situation because you can't control how hectic a MotoGP race is going to be. And by the way, Michelin's already said there will not be a new front tire in this sport until 2025. So next season's going to be a fucking nightmare because there's going to be... I guarantee you there will be riders and bikes thrown out of races where the engineer will take the blame for something that is ultimately not their fault. This... We had something this like this series. happen in another series earlier this year. Go on. 
remember remember tpms gate at daytona well no because that was that was tampering that was intent to cheat with tampering with series equipment that's a bit different this this is is this is purely a judgment call that you don't have control over because dorna and MotoGP are not prepared to regulate aerodynamic motorsport no they haven't been they've proven themselves incapable of doing so for the past six or seven years and this is and this is the problem. Like in May, in the case of Mayor Shank, there was a deliberate intent to cheat. I don't like. Yeah, Banyai has teased that idea for what was what his original plan was going to be in Qatar. But this is more of a game of how low they set the you, rule. Yeah, you've set, set the, rule. the rule. So now you're just playing up to the rule. If you're gonna, they they've given you a joker, even though it wasn't intended to be. Yeah, and. Now, if you're an engineer, you essentially have to play a game of chicken as to how low you dare set your tire pressure. Because if you get this wrong, you now risk getting getting a penalty that could determine this championship. Could you imagine, Cam, the worst case scenario? Let's pretend Jorge Martin runs the table for the rest of the year, right? He wins mm-hmm. the MotoGP championship in Valencia. Francesco Bagnaia finishes two seconds behind him on the road. Martin has his world championship celebration. And then an hour and a half later, after they check the bikes in Park Ferme afterwards, they find out that Martin breaks the tire pressure rule. He, he gets a three-second time penalty, and then Bagnaia wins the title. The sport will get raked over the coals for it, and rightfully so. This is, this is, this is what you've opened yourself up for now. And this is real, because we're seeing it. I need to remind you, this was not the plan for Peko Bagnaia. They they were bragging about using this in Qatar, and now they've ended up blowing their load here a, re- a week early in Sepang, quite literally in this case. So th- well, it's obvious did, that that was not the main plan. Yeah, and he's just gained a point on his direct title rival across the weekend on an illegal machine. Yeah, and, and it was obvious on the other end of the fence that Martin was playing it safe. And understandably so, because he didn't want to risk a time penalty. Because <laughs> like he won last week with an illegal machine. Right. It, it, it's it's a mess. It is it is a mess of a situation. The teams are understandably exploiting the rule, but like any smart team would, and the sport has now opened the door for rampant cheating. And it, <laughs> it, it could determine the championship. It, yeah. That's tough. But Dre, you know, you know, an organization that has no worries whatsoever about potentially losing a championship and scrutinizing this year or next. That is right. It's the Honda Motor Company. It's Repsol Honda. We have had some big news uh, come out over the course of this week uh, about Luca Marini, who, if you don't know, Many people may not know this, but Luca Marini is actually the half-brother of Valentino Rossi, uh, his team Fuck. principal at VR46 <laughs> Racing. Valentino Rossi, the uh, the likely Le Mans driver at BMW Team WRT, never mentioned, by the way. No. Uh, we also got news that Repsol's still staying with the factory Honda team, but they're losing a very big associate sponsor, Red Bull. That partnership's going to come to an end at 2023, but that move's done. Luke Marini looks like he's heading to Repsol Honda. Should be announced probably by the time you listen to this episode, if not close to it. Mm. Trey, what do you make of this? Well, first and foremost, a quick comment on 
the breaking news story because at the time I wrote my notes for this episode, this deal hadn't this this hadn't been reported. It was reported by Motorsport.com earlier, and uh, credit to Lila Oaks for reaching out to me on this one as well for basically saying that uh, yeah, apparently Red Bull activated their exit clause a couple of weeks ago. So a lot it looks, of individuals activating their exit clause around Repsol Honda these days. Yeah, they've seen Repsol Honda's performances and Red Bull were like, fuck this, we're not going to back this team anymore. There is heavy rumours they are going to follow Mark Marquez to Grissini for next season. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing. Um, can't say I'm surprised at that. Um, the heavy rumours about Luca Marini, I mean, it's 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 a done deal. I'll, I, I can I can tell you now, right now, it's a done deal. It'll be announced likely by the time we get to Qatar. But that's just it. You've got to we've got to backtrack a little bit and talk about a lot of the other rumours that got us to this point because there is a story, but in the story about how we got to Luca Marini, turns out the Miguel Oliveira dialogue about him and Repsol Honda was true, at least to some degree, because we found out that Miguel Rivera was like, if you give me a two-year contract, I'll consider it. And Honda only offered him a one-year deal. And Miguel Rivera was like, your management sucks. This is a rebuild. I want guaranteed commitments and money here. And Honda wasn't prepared to give it to him. Listen, Miguel Rivera is a quality bike rider. Like, he has won five MotoGP <laughs> races. Like, I don't know why the Rain fuck you're being so so picky about this. He's the best weather rider in the world. Um, you know, it's it's a joke that you're getting that picky about this. Fabio Di Giantonio was glossed over, which wasn't ideal either. Fermin understandable, Glenn- understandable that Fabio was glossed over because, like, he's looked like he's been on his way out of MotoGP now ever since the start of this season. Yeah, like, Juan didn't fall for the honey trap of recent form. Fermin Aldeguer turned out that was more of a manager texting Alberto Puig saying, you up, I hear you've got a rider problem. Um, if for the low, low price of 400,000 euros, you can activate my rider's buyout clause and you can hire this really talented 18-year-old who won the Sepang Moto2 race this weekend. Well, congrats to Aldeguer for that, by the way. Yeah. Um, back-to-back wins in Moto2, good for him. Still only 18 years of old. Very talented prospect, do not get me wrong. But... Alberto Puig politely told him in Spanish to kick rocks um, and basically said, no, they can't promote Johan Zarco because Zarco sponsors are directly signed and tied down to LCR, um, which again, not ideal. Um, And essentially, they've now thrown a bucket load of money at Luca Marini to try and make this work. And Marini's taken that offer by the looks of it. So... I guess there's some nostalgia in Valentino Rossi's half-brother trying to make a name for himself at the team that, or associated team that was that made Rossi the champion he is, to a degree. But what startles me about all of this is that MotoGP, their silly seasons tend to be wrapped up a lot earlier than the other series we cover on this show. Formula One, right. or, like, go on, Cam. How many days to the Valencia test? 14 at time of recording. Is that good? This is unprecedented, in my opinion. I cannot remember a, a high-profile... We're talking about the most prolific team in MotoGP history. The Honda factory team not having a confirmed rider lineup 
and the Valencia test is 14 days away. What? This is the part where I uh, lose my mind a little bit. Uh, You're the fucking worst right now, Honda. Yamaha has officially claimed the wooden spoon from you as of this most recent weekend. You know what? Second half of the season, Yamaha hasn't been half bad. Not good, but they're not nearly as bad as they were in the first half. What are you doing out here being picky with riders? You are not in a position to negotiate. No, like, look, if it turns out they get Luca Marini, I stand by what I said in our Discord server before we recorded. This actually isn't too bad a situation. Luca Marini is a pretty good bike rider. Johan Zarco is a very versatile rider with a lot of intelligence and, and knowledge on, and he's a valuable asset to have in your camp, in my opinion. Like, and you still have Johan Mir, who we all know is far better than what this Repsol Honda has given him. This is still a solid lineup by all accounts. This solid the riders ain't the problem. It's not and... the problem now. The bike's the problem now. But let's say they give us a good bike. Do you do do I am I supposed to bike. am I supposed to believe that someone who threw three seasons of MotoGP right now, a lot of it on the best bike, <laughs> who scored only one Grand Prix podium, is going to be the guy that takes the team forward? I'm not. Luca Marini seems like a nice guy, but He's, he's it, not Mark Marquez. He's not Valentino Rossi. Those guys aren't walking through that door. Danny Petros is not that's not that the door. point, RJ. Luca Marini is basically the guy who picked up the phone because everyone else they've called told them to kick rocks. And the thing is, right, as much as I agree with you, RJ, that Luca Marini is not going to move the needle for Epsil Honda at all, and I understand that, this was still the best rider they could have possibly gotten in this scenario. Like this yeah. is like this like if, if anything, given that <laughs> Fabio DG Antonio was probably the best as we knew it available rider on the board until about a week ago, they've actually done quite well to get Luca Marini in the end. The point I'm getting at here is that you've lost the privilege of being able to be an appealing option to a top tier team because of how shit you've been for the last three years. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. this is Paul, like Paul Spargaro. Paul Spargaro literally said he had an option to go there and he would rather be a test rider for KTM and effectively be out of the sport than go ride a race Honda. This is what the Patriots are dealing with what life after Tom Brady. They they're oh, right. Oh the pay oh Honda wishes they were the Patriots. This is what the Packers are dealing with in life after Aaron Rodgers. I think it's a <laughs> lot more deep rooted than that. I don't think it's a good comparison. No, this None is None of it's good. None of it, none of, okay, yeah, I was going to say, but first and foremost, none of this is good by any stretch of the imagination. Like like I said, like, if anything, I think they've actually, like I said, I stand by this. I think Honda's done quite well to snag Marini because I think he's a very good bike rider and a guy that I'm surprised hasn't won a MotoGP race yet because he's good enough to win one. That is, for me... I mean, it's like I, I thought the backhanded compliment from Johan Zarco after the Grand Prix was hilarious and he was talking about the room. He was said, he's not the most gifted of rider, but he's very intelligent and he works very hard, so good for him. I was like, wow, Zarco, you dick. Um, I was like, wow. Johan Zarco hit him with the good route runner, Scrappy. <laughs> he works hard. <laughs> we all know We all know that code in the NFL. Um, but, no, it, it's, but, but, but look, like, they're not getting a good bike. 
No. Johan Mir is on the 2024 prototype right now. They're not getting a good bike next year. They're probably not getting a good bike for 2025. Let's I not, do let, think mm. before before you go on, I do think one benefit here is they got more experience in their lineup than they would have gotten had they gone with DG Antonio or Definitely. Aldegar because they need someone who knows how to develop a bike. But also, Luca Marini hasn't been around here for very long either. Certainly longer than Fabio Di Antonio does. And I wouldn't have been against them getting Di Antonio if they'd have been able to bring Crucci Frankie Karcecki along with him. He's one of the best <clears> in the <throat> game right now. Luckily, that would he gets have been the, a heist. It would have been a heist. But the thing is, is that he's going to be working with Mark Marquez next year. So there's no surprise he's staying put. God help us all. <laughs> Frankie Karcecki is, is, was, just, just a reminder, he was Johan Mir's crew chief when he won the world title in 2020, for those who don't know. He's one of the best in the business, and he's been able to unlock a lot of hidden potential in DG Antonio in the back half of this season. Um, his uh, his recent upturn in form has been no coincidence. Now, I say, Grassini's been cooking as of late. Yeah, Alex Marquez had his best weekend in MotoGP. Won the sprint, was was a very competitive second in the Grand Prix. Like, that's the Alex Marquez we were all hoping to see out of him this weekend. But Let's say, Alex Marquez was 2.1 seconds faster in practice than he was on the Honda last year. Uh, and, and people think Mark Marquez won't be able to adapt to a Ducati, please. <laughs> like, okay. Like, no. Oh... Again, I, I cannot stress this enough how fucking messy this scenario is for Repsol Honda right now. The fact that they have now been handed around like a spliff in the back end of a Christmas party um, about who's trying to ride this bike when <laughs> Moto2 riders like Fermin Aldeguer and their management think they have a genuine shot at being able to steal a heist on that seat purely because of how bad things are. When Polar Spargo would rather be a test rider than ride your bike and go back to the the team that arguably derailed his career because he was an excellent rider at KTM before he went to Repsol Honda. His best work had been on a KTM. Um, so, Miguel no. Oliveira is having a year from hell on the year-old Aprilia. I mean, another... Another technical problem. He would rather stay on the unreliable, messy year-old Aprilia than go to a factory team. Raul Fernandez described that Aprilia this this weekend as junk. Because it's unreliable, it's old, and it's not working properly. Because Aprilia are having another traditional end-of-year collapse by their sense. I mean, Alexis Spagaro crashed five times this weekend in, in Sepang. I think one more and he gets a free Nando's half chicken. in trouble. <laughs> Not by any stretch, um, yeah, but it, it, it's it's the scale of issues, and it's for me it's just the management acting like they're still hot shit. You do not have the luxury to be only offering riders one year deals, thinking you've got the leverage in the boardroom to go hire top end talent right now. Because as RJ alluded to, as I like to call him now, Rick Patino O'Connell, um, who pointed out earlier. Like, Mark Marquez and Francesco Bagnaia, who I can see why they're doing this. Four of the best five riders in the world right now are going to be free agents at the end of next year. Mark Marquez, Fabio Di Antonio, Francesco Bagnaia, and Anaya Bastianini are all going to be free agents at the end of next season. And Jorge Martin, arguably the five best riders in the world right now, are all going to be free agents. I could Wait, see... Fabio Di Antonio Quartararo. Quartararo. Yeah. 
I see what you did there. No, like the arguably the five best riders in the world right now are all going to be free agents at the end of 2024. Like you want some skin in that game, but how the fuck do you honestly think you're going to be able to get any of those top five riders right now unless you go full NFL and offer them a boatload of cash? I can tell you they're not going to get one of them because he just left. Probably not. Um, but it's it's the thing like they're they're so they're acting like they're like the short term is what's important right now when there is nothing to play for for the short term then cam why does alberto puig still have his job um you know i am going to say something that is going to be very controversial but this probably isn't his fault and this probably isn't going to be helped by someone else at the helm. The end of the day, like Honda gestures wildly. HRC needs to get their shit together. The big, the the top brass in Japan, the technical staff on the team side of things, they've been about as well as as good as you could expect with such a horrible bike this year. I don't. Yeah, I, I look at this scenario, and I must admit, I'm kind of with Cam and, and changed my tune on this a little bit. Puig has not helped. Puig has made some fundamentally poor rider decisions over the years that have, that have not helped this issue. But it's more deep rooted than rider quality. They've had world class riders pass through this team in the last half decade. It is a fundamental failing from honda at the highest level that they've not been able to generate a competitive bike for anyone other than mark marquez arguably its greatest talent the sport has ever seen to be able to ride on it effectively like, i mean the Dre, signs we, we talk there. about we, t we talk about pedrosa's contribution the bike wasn't very good at the later years of pedrosa developing it the bike yeah. has had problems since 2015 horrible in 2016 but he was able to win on it a little bit better in 17 and it's just kind of gone up and down from there and that total reset to start 2022 which of course Paul Spargo was partially responsible for mm. well they took a bike that only one person could ride and made it into a bike that nobody could ride um i mean they've hit a half century they hit the half century of crashes with the factory yep. team yeah, Yaman Mir's crash in the Grand Prix on Sunday was the 50th crash from a Repsol Honda rider in 2023. Hmm. They missed nine races. And we still have two weekends left. You know what Amir. I think they need? Go on. Uh, do you remember when, in, in 2008, around the height of the Lehman <laughs> shock, when Honda was considering, like, pulling out a MotoGP altogether? And they said, no. The big boss man. So it's your Honda would not allow this to happen, and they stuck with it. Mm. I think Honda, yeah, I don't know what they need, but it feels like one of the things they need is like a divine intervention from the ghost of Soichiro Honda himself <laughs> yeah. to, to fix stuff, because whatever they've been trying in like recent years has not been working. This is, no. look, look, you sign in Luca Marini to be your second rider next year screams, this is a rebuild. This is a this rebuild. It has to be a rebuild. And you, you need... Like, this is the best... Uh, look, they've actually outkicked their coverage to get a top 10 rider in the field and Luca Marini to join their team next year. This is They've done well to get a rider of his quality in here because this is a rebuild. 
they they're gonna need at least two years to undo a lot of this bullshit. And you are then Honda needs to get real with itself and realize you are not an attractive option to a top tier client right now. And you and the only way you're going to be is if you turn things around, use whatever concessions that Dorna agrees to give you next year and get every resource you've got on turning this round. Bike racing is your blood. It is your lifeblood. It is what's made you what you are today as a motor company. Get it together. You've just lost the greatest rider this sport quite possibly has ever seen. If that wasn't alarm bells ringing in that camp, I don't know what is. The Valencia test is 14 days away and you don't know what riders are going to be on your bike at the for that test in two weeks' time. It's a joke. Get it anyway, together. Con, if you want to see a contrast, look at 20 years ago when Valentino left, and it didn't work, but Honda threw all they were as a company to get every rider, every team, and every bike in order to launch a counter-assault. And they eventually did. Yeah, it took him a couple of years, but Hayden eventually got the job done. Yeah. So we are far, far removed. Good luck to them and good luck to everybody else because we've only got two rounds left in this MotoGP season. The penultimate race of the 2023 MotoGP Championship is this weekend. It's the return to the Sile International Circuit in Qatar. One of the marquee events of the year, now in November, is a one-off for this year because of their renovations they've had recently. So, uh, yeah, now it's going to be in the penultimate race slot um, uh, for this year. And, well, this has got potential to be one of the rounds of the year because Qatar doesn't normally produce boring races. It's a very equalizing kind of track. It's uh, It can very much bring the field together, and that's when things get interesting. 13 points separating Martin, I think it's actually 14 points, sorry, separating Martin and Banyaya with just two rounds to go. Like, oh, and some, I love, I love that somebody asked David Emmett what happens in the event of a tie, um, because this does come up, and there is a very real possibility we could get a tie here for the championship. For those asking, if it's a tie, most Grand Prix wins. However, Sprint wins are not the second tiebreaker. Some people have been asking, is it? It is not. It is whoever led the championship the latest wins. <laughs> oh, <Good> God. <laughs> Remember, we, we had a championship between Agostini and Hellwood go down to, what, third places in the 60s? Yeah, third tiebreaker. <laughs> Good Lord. Very real possibility. Uh, I'd like to rescind. I'd like to rescind my prediction from last week. I actually think the tire pressure monitor is going to win the world championship. So it could certainly play a role in it. We'll have to wait and see. Next M Y One episode will be out next week. It'll be on Formula One's penultimate round of the year in Las Vegas. Um, goodness only knows how that will get will get down um because boy if you listen to social media half of them would think this grand prix was the worst thing to happen to formula one ever like but here we are let's see how it goes down and let's see how many passes we get into top golf by the end of the weekend so yeah who, we, uh, who do we think is going to be on the max for Stappen experience this weekend lando norris and lewis hamilton i think hamilton will bounce back this weekend i think that's a safe pick Hmm. so yeah we'll see how we go vegas this weekend might be a bit chilly bring a coat but uh, until next time and i'll be an interesting one to look forward to i've been dre harrison they've been rj o'connell and cam buckley thank you very much for listening
Sayonara. Later, y'all. I, rese- I resemble that remark about being Rip Patino. I'm not, ha- I'm not having an affair in a Louisville restaurant. <laughs> well, why not? 